listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. I'm not going to be all night tonight. I'm going to address this, um, which I felt like I, I just have, I need to address it. Um, I mean, I, I usually, I wouldn't say much. It's just like after 30 to 40, and I'm not exaggerating. There's Miss Sherry Barbie. Love you so much. After like 30 to 40 social media posts, I mean, I'm not going out of my way to find these things. Uh, it's just like, you know, I just see it. After like 30 to 40 social media posts that I've come across in like less than a week, last few days, um, about pe- people publicly, publicly bashing men and women of God by name on social media. Um, I'm going to definitely talk about it because um, it's insane. And I'm going to actually give you seven questions from the Bible tonight that you need to ask yourself. And actually, uh, I was corrected in the comments by Pastor Kim Gibb in Sarnia, Ontario. Uh, Miss Kim, if you're watching, I love you. And she's exactly right because I put on my ad when I put the, minute, the, the video out, I said seven questions you need to ask yourself uh, before you, uh, speak against or bash a man or woman of God publicly, she wrote, or privately. That's exactly right. Uh, obviously not just publicly, but what you say privately is important. And, uh, and so I want to talk about it and you're going to want to be on for this one. You need to share it because this needs to be heard now more than ever before. Not even playing. This is so serious uh, and we need to, especially my generation and younger need to hear this, what I'm going to talk about. And I'm going to give you seven questions you need to ask yourself. Very, very important questions from the word of God that you need to ask yourself before you start to speak against a man or woman of God publicly or privately. Before you open your mouth to begin to say things about people, maybe that you don't know that you've never met. Maybe there are people that you know or have met. Maybe it's your own pastor, but this is going to help you. It's going to help you tonight. And, uh, especially in light of what we've seen going on, uh, you know, there are people that are standing up for things. First of all, let me say this. There are people that have, uh, proven track records, decades and decades and decades of ministry with no scandal, integrity, Decades of fruit production in the kingdom. And they should be uh, looked up to and not mocked publicly. Uh, Secondly, most Christians aren't even spiritual enough to understand when something's being done by the spirit or when something's being done by the flesh. Uh, If you want to go deeper, and I'll, I'll mention some of this tonight, but there's whole groups of people that bash Pentecostal people because of what we do. And it's the same exact thing. When you decide to speak out about somebody because you don't like their style or the way they said something or the way they did something, 
and you, you bash them publicly on social media, you're, you're on dangerous ground, in my opinion, very dangerous ground. And I'll tell you why tonight, dangerous, dangerous ground. Uh, and so I'm, I'm saying this, obviously everybody watching, including myself, we've all said things that we wish we could take back. No question. And so I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, some guy that's here to like send you to hell. I do want you to hear this in a more, more of a heavy context than I knew than I usually or normally speak in, because this is extremely important. So important. In fact, that it will govern whether or not you can receive impartation. It will also govern whether or not God can use you in what he's called you to do. And every one of you are called to be used by God. If you're a Christian, God's put an anointing on your life. He's put a calling on your life. You have a purpose. You're a member of the body of Christ. And when you make a choice to step out and begin to speak against men and women of God, those in leadership position, you are in danger of losing your ability to work for God. He cannot use people with uh, motives that are wrong. He can't use people that are outside of love, by the way. And we'll deal with that too. But I'm going to give you seven things. But before I do, let me make a point real quick. I'd like to just make a, a, a yeah, and, and you can write that in the comments. I mean, that's, that's a positive note to start on. I have a purpose. Everybody follow Aaron Kittle on Facebook, whether you're on uh, YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, put it in the comments. I have a purpose and God wants you to fulfill that purpose. He don't want you to miss it, but people are missing what God has planned for them because of the fact they're not doing what the Bible teaches to do. And so I want you to, I want you to hear something before I start these seven questions. And that is this, and this would be a great place to start by the way, what we magnify in 2020, as far as ministry, what we magnify is actually the wrong thing. We're actually magnifying the wrong thing. What do I mean by that? You know, there's a, there's a huge, um, how should I say this? There, there's a huge trend to idolize or even emulate. Let me not use the word idolize because I don't want you to think I'm talking about sinfully, but just to emulate or look up to those who've not even done anything um, for a long period of time. Let me just say it this way. It's one thing to have success for 10 years. It's another thing to have success for 60 years or 40 years or 50 years. Let me say that again. I see my friend Omari on tonight. Love you, buddy. Let, let me say that again so that you hear it. It's one thing to have success for five years or 10 years. It's a whole nother thing to have success for 40, 50, 60 years. Big difference. Big difference. And one of the dangerous things going on right now is that we're putting all of our, um, respect, trust in those that haven't even been proven yet. They've not even been proven. And then we're destroyed when those people don't stay consistent. We're destroyed. We're, we're totally let down, you know, and I'm not, again, I'm not here to name names, condemn other people, but there's been things recently, you know, there, there are, uh, 
another major name recently. I won't say his name, but another major name, huge scandal recently. Well, how many people looked at that individual and emulated them? tried to do what they did or wanted to, wanted to be just like them, wanted to go do their thing, you know, wanted to get around that vibe and become that thing. We have idolized or we have emulated people that haven't even proven themselves yet. They've not even proven themselves. And then we've got others in the body of Christ that have spent decades, listen to me, decades in faithfulness, decades, decades in fruitfulness, decades in integrity, no scandal. Let me tell you something. It is a serious thing when you've been in the ministry 50, 60 years and have had no scandal (laughs) and have, have had integrity unmatched for 40, 50, 60 years have never, you know, you're still with the same wife 50 years later You've never had a financial scandal. You've never embezzled money. You've never got caught taking money on the side or any any of that. You've, You've never allowed pride to fill you to the place where you've gotten so big that you fall into destruction because pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's a whole nother deal. You know, you see a man like brother Kenneth Copeland, that's, you know, been in the ministry faithfully serving the Lord for decades. This is not a man that has been doing it successfully for five to 10 years. Here's a man who has proven his life and ministry and has literally not had scandal. He's not, you understand what I'm saying? You look at a man like Brother Hagin who went on to be with the Lord. Brother Shambach went on to be with the Lord. John Osteen went on to be with the Lord. You look at these men that we've had. I look at my father, who's been in the ministry 44 years, no scandal, still with my mom. (laughs) He's not on like his fourth wife. You understand? It's a whole nother deal when you've been in the ministry 40, 50, 60 years with no scandal, integrity, and bearing fruit. Then you got somebody that, you know, has been up five, 10 years, haven't even proven themselves yet. And we're all wanting to emulate something because it looks hip and it looks cool, but we don't even see. And and here's the problem is that something blows up. And then all of a sudden the person who's in the spotlight can't handle the pressure. I look at my uh, friends, pastor Stephen Sherry Barbie, 51 years in the ministry. You understand what I'm saying? And so I I want you to put this because the Lord spoke this to me and I want you to hear it and I want you to hear it clearly tonight. And if you didn't share this broadcast, take a minute to share it because it's important. Here's what I want you to look at. And I want you to put this in the comments, write it down, put it in the fly leaf of your Bible, whatever you've got to do to remember this phrase for the rest of your life. Look to fathers, not to brothers. I want you to put that in the comments section, look to fathers, not to brothers. Very, very important. Look to fathers, not to brothers. Why? Because fathers have proven themselves. Look to fathers, not to brothers. They've stood the test of time. 
They've gone in and they've lived lives of integrity. They've had ministries of integrity. Look to fathers, not to brothers. There'd be so many, uh, so, so few people uh, discouraged if they would learn to look to fathers and not to brothers. You know, we look to brothers, they're still proving their themselves, their ministries. Doesn't mean that you talk about them anyway. But what I'm talking about right off the bat, I want to deal with what Paul told the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. Listen to this. Let me get there first and I'll read it to you. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. But Paul wasn't their brother. He was the apostle. He was actually the one responsible for bringing them to the Lord. In fact, I'll prove that to you. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and look how he, look how he says it here. 1 Corinthians 4.15. Hear this clearly. 1 Corinthians 4.15. Paul says, for though you have countless guides in Christ or teachers, you've got countless guides. You don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You see that? I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So look what he says. You've got many teachers. You don't have many fathers. Don't look to brothers. Look to fathers. Because stuff like this begins to happen and people freak out. Oh, I, I can't believe. You see? And people should have known. They should have been ready. You cannot look to brothers. You got to look to fathers. Let me, let me go even a step further than that. If you go to, um, if you go to the book of, or the letter that Paul wrote to Titus, actually, you know what? Instead of that, let's do this. Let's go to the letter he wrote to Philemon. Listen to this. He writes this about Onesimus. Very, very important. He writes this about Onesimus. He said in verse 10, Philemon for a one ten, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in prison. Now listen to this. Here's why I say this. And by the way, I wrote, I wrote about this in further faster. If you've not read it yet, listen, verse 11, Philemon one eleven. Now, formerly Onesimus was useless to you. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Listen to what happened here. Paul said, here's a man that was useless, Onesimus. But then I became his father. And when I became his father, my training as his spiritual father and he my spiritual son, my training took him from useless to useful. You see that? Took him. It's not a spiritual brother that did that. It's a spiritual father that did that. You need impartation from spiritual fathers. It's what God set up in the body of Christ. You need impartation from spiritual fathers. And so this whole trend of people just literally like saying whatever they want to say about men and women of God in the body of Christ. If you didn't write that down, write it down. Look to fathers, not to brothers. And I hope you got those scriptures that I gave you, three verses. But this whole trend 
of people just saying whatever they want to say about men and women of God across the board. Social media has made people bold, my friend. It's made people very bold. I tweeted something the other night, which I do not mind repeating live. Let me put it on and and tell you exactly what I tweeted. I tweeted this for anybody that missed it. Christians are bold. Most of them do next to nothing for the Lord and feel comfortable armchair quarterbacking seasoned men of God who have decades of fruit and integrity behind them. Wipe the chips and dip off your face, repent and get to work. You know how I know that the average Christian does next to nothing for the Lord? Because the average church in America is between 65 and 85 people and the average church doesn't hardly have any conversions at all. That means nobody in the church is winning souls. So you think, well, the pastor should be doing a better job. Every Christian, every Christian is called to win souls. Every Christian is an evangelist. Every Christian. If your church isn't growing, it's not just your pastor's fault. It's every member in the body's fault. How many people, and I'm not asking you to put it in the comments, but think, think, think to yourself, how many people have I won to Jesus this year? Personally. How many people have I brought into the kingdom this year? And so you got Christians that do next to nothing for the Lord. Most of them aren't even living right. You understand? And so when I tell you the average Christians doing next to nothing for the Lord, they are. Obviously not on this broadcast. This is the Victory Tribe. I believe that we have a a much more mature group. However, I'm telling you, what I'm telling you is across the board in America, you've got armchair quarterbacks that are sitting in their little lazy boy with their little uh, drink on the, uh, on the stand next to them, flipping through their phone and mocking men and women of God that have given their lives, given their lives for the gospel's sake. <laughs> Ridiculous. And people wonder, how come God's not using me? Let me tell you why it's not working out for you. People sitting around mocking proven, seasoned men of God. You should be careful. You should watch yourself. As the psalmist said in the 90s, chiggity check yourself before you wreck yourself. (laughs) I'm just being honest with you. It's a dangerous thing to have them to mock men and women of God publicly and make light. Whatever you may think of anybody, Let let me just give you an example before I get into these seven. I am going to give them to you. There are men of God that I don't in any, I mean, like if you lined up our belief systems, our doctrinal belief systems, I don't believe 80% and they don't believe 80% of what I believe. I'll give you an example. Dr. John MacArthur. Dr. John MacArthur would number one, call me a heretic he would, he would call me a heretic. He, he would call me a false prophet. And he would say, I'm a danger to the body of Christ. He literally would. He would say, I was, I'm a danger to the body of Christ. But I'm not running around mocking John MacArthur. And I'm not running around uh, demeaning him or publicly bashing him and his ministry and whatever he's doing. At all. And I know what he would think of me. 
And I know what he teaches. I know exactly what he teaches. I know he's reformed. I know he doesn't, I don't, I know he believes, uh, he, obviously he's a Calvinist. And so he's, uh, believes in monergistic salvation. I know that he doesn't believe in the moving of the Holy Spirit today. I know he do, he's a cessationist, doesn't believe in signs, wonders, and miracles. I know he doesn't believe in prosperity. No, he doesn't believe in healing, all of those things. And he would call you a heretic for believing those things. And I know that, and I know all that he teaches and preaches and believes. And I'm still, I'm not going to, I know that he held the strange fire conference. I know that he mocked people that I love personally, but I'm not going to sit around and mock him and demean him. I refuse to do it. Why would I do it? Why would I do it? That's the question. I don't need to do it. First of all, I'm not his master. God is his master. Christ is his master. Anything he does or any other preacher that I disagree with or that says things that I don't believe are true, I won't judge them one day. God will judge them. Christ will judge them. Christ will judge his own servants. You understand? Christ will judge his servants. I don't have to judge his servants. He will do it. Not to mention, I've got to be busy doing what I'm called to do. Too busy, too busy to have time to come against them and spend time thinking about what they're doing. You understand? And so there's plenty of people that I don't agree with their ministry and what they're doing and the things they're teaching and all of that. I don't, listen, I'm not their master. They're not my servant. I would be out of line to publicly uh, rip them up. As many people are ripping up men like Kenneth Copeland online, people that call themselves Pentecostal charismatics eating their own because you don't understand something or because you don't have an understanding. Meanwhile, people ministering to 22 people in a room. And this is a man that's touched the whole world, touched the whole world. You don't even know. People love to bash him for what he teaches and preaches. Here's a man that gave tens of millions, tens of millions of dollars to Dr. Reinhard Bonnke to preach crusades overseas. Meanwhile, people get out, I don't, I don't know if I believe in the prosperity message. Well, then you better start believing because look at the fruit. There, in the last 15 years of Reinhard Bonnke's ministry, he won over 80 million people to Jesus, 80 million in one nation. I've watched the videos. I've seen nights where over a million people came to the altar at one time. And I was sitting in the office with him in his own office in Orlando and had lunch with him. And he said, our ministry was getting ready to go bankrupt. We didn't have the money to pay for the crusades that we were doing overseas. And all of a sudden, a man, God raised up a man to bless our ministry. That man was Dr. Kenneth Copeland, who gave tens of millions of dollars to fund those crusades where people are being saved by the millions, over 80 million salvations. Think about that for a minute. Think about that. And you got people talking to 22 people at a home church and sitting around like they've conquered the world because they broke 25 on a Sunday and publicly going on social media and bashing men and women of God. Check yourself. Check yourself. First of all, who do you think you are is the first question. And that's not even on my list. So that's a bonus question. Who do you think you are? 
That's the first question I would love to sit down and ask every person with a little smirk on their face. Who do you think you are? What have you accomplished that makes you feel like you can just throw their name out of your mouth or with your little thumbs? Who do you think you are? Blows my mind. Needs to be said. Needs to be said, especially now. With everybody with a smartphone is a prophet now, apparently. Everybody with a smartphone is out judging the men of God and what they're prophesying. People with proven ministries that have seen signs and wonders and miracles and have had years of integrity, but you got a smartphone and an Instagram account, so you might as well jump on and make, make a mockery of what God's doing. Better watch yourself. Let me, let me before I get into the seven, uh, let, me, let me give you one more passage because this, this is what I want you to see. Second Kings, go to second Kings seven and let me, let me show you how dangerous it is to stand against a prophet of God, a man of God, who's got a word in their mouth. Let me give you, let me give you a heads up about it. Second Kings chapter seven. And this was during, in the midst of a famine. The Bible says in verse one, but Elisha said, this is the prophet, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord tomorrow about this time, a say of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel two say of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain on whose hand the king rested said the man of God, well, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing even be? <laughs> so the king's, the king's captain pulled his little smartphone out and went on Twitter and went on Instagram and went on his little Facebook account and said, well, I know Elisha's prophesying that the famine's coming to an end, but if God opened the windows of heaven, could this thing really be? Listen to the response from the prophet. Oh, it'll happen. It'll happen. But you, you'll see it with your own eyes, but you'll not eat any of it. You'll see it happen with your own eyes, but you'll not eat any of it. Let me tell you what happens when you mock the prophetic word. And when you mock the men and women of God, whose God's hand is on them. Oh, it'll come to pass if it's from the Lord, but you have just disqualified yourself from receiving any of that blessing. Keep speaking against the word of God. Keep speaking against the prophets of God. Keep speaking against the move of God. It's not funny. It ain't cute. <laughs> did you see what so-and-so did? Did you see the video that so-and-so made about so-and-so's? It's not funny. It's not funny. And it's not cute. It's stupid at the highest level. And Christians have allowed themselves to become very dull. First of all, we need people once again that'll preach what the supernatural truly is. You've got a whole generation of believers that can't sit in a church service for longer than 65 minutes without checking their Apple Watch 32 times. They don't know anything about signs and wonders and miracles. They know nothing about the supernatural. All they know is, is it hip? Is it relevant? Can I get home in time to watch football? You can keep that. You can keep that kind of Christianity. I don't want it. And it's not helping anybody. 
You look what it's created. Look outside. If you're wondering who all these people are that are in the streets burning stuff down, look outside and tell me what you think. 30 years of seeker sensitive church has produced in those that are now 20 and 30 years old. You tell me when they say that the average kid, when he turns 18, leaves church never to come back, but they don't tell you what kinds of churches they're leaving. So you tell me what you think seeker sensitive church has produced after 30 years of it. You can see in the streets what it's produced. Why do people not have any kind of respect for spiritual authority? Because they've gone to dead churches while all they've seen is their parents attend there for 30 years and still have all the same problems they've always had and no changes. You say, well, this stuff must not really work. Yeah, because you're in a graveyard. That's why. You're in a freaking graveyard and your parents never left it. And so we, we got this, this church gets us out on time. This church has great lights. If you've governed your church, if you've gone to, to decide what church you attend, let, let me tell you a big, a, a huge mistake. If you chose your church based on how long of a drive it is from your house, dumb. If you chose your church based upon the level of entertainment value in the production, dumb. If you chose your church because you liked what their children's ministry was doing, well, they've got a really uh, blowing and going kids ministry, dumb. Choose your church based upon what's happening in the church. Is it even a full gospel church? Is God even showing up? Do they even allow the move of the Holy Ghost or do they forbid speaking in tongues? Do they despise prophesying? Will they not lay their hands on people because they're worried about what some visitor might think about it? Dumb. Get out of that. Get out of that. And it's why people have lost respect because they look at it and see there ain't nothing there. I could, you know why there's so many people in the church? You know why there's so many lay people in the church that feel like they could do their pastor's job better than, than they're actually doing it? Because their pastor's not carrying any kind of anointing. It's basically a glorified businessman that couldn't make it in the business world that's barely making it in the church world. Hear me on that one. And I'm for pastors. Trust me. I love pastors. I'm telling you the truth tonight. And people feel like they can just get up and say whatever they want about men and women of God. And it doesn't matter if you understand what they're doing or not. Doesn't matter if you understand how it functions. Most people don't even understand the spirit realm or how the spirit realm works. Or even how the supernatural functions. They don't know. They don't have fathers. You got spiritual bastards running around. No spiritual fathers. No impartation. First time they come into contact with something they've never experienced before. Oh, that's weird. I don't know if I know that. How about get into the Bible and see if it's scriptural? And even if it's not, how about do what the Bible teaches and pray for the person rather than going online to tear them up? You ever think about that? Well, it was just a joke, brother. Keep your joke to yourself because it comes across as mockery. Let me give you seven questions you need to ask yourself. Write them down if you would. Before you go talking about somebody, 
Let's start with just talking about them, saying something about them, spreading something you heard. Let me give you question number one. Question number one is this. Do you know that it's true what you're saying? Do you know it's true? That's the first question. Put it in the comments. Number one, do I know it's true? Do I know that it's true? Because here's the danger. If you're out spreading stuff around, telling, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear about this preacher? Did you hear about this? Let me tell you something. Number one, even if it is true, what business do you have talking about it? What, what does it matter to you or the person you're talking to? Did you hear what happened to so-and-so? As I said at the beginning of this broadcast, there's been a very well-known uh, guy that was in ministry that had a scandal recently. I'm not talking to anybody about it. I'm not out discussing it with people. I'm not out at tables after services and restaurants discussing it. It, I don't care. I've got no connection to it. It's sad that it happened. It's very sad that it happened, but I'm not out doing commentary on it. You know, blows my mind is you can have somebody, and I'm sure you all know who I'm talking about because it just happened and it was, it was everywhere. But you know, I, I scroll through my YouTube recommended for you, uh, videos. Why, why are there like 90 people on their channel doing a whole overview video on why so-and-so fell. You've run out of channel ideas for, for, your, for your YouTube channel. Like why, why do we have 90 people doing a video on, on so-and-so had a scandal, so-and-so fell? What, sad, it's sad. Whether the person's right or wrong, whether, you know, sad. So you ask yourself the question, if, I'm talking about it. I got to ask myself a question. Is what I'm saying true? Can I prove that it's true? Can I prove that it's true? And here's the reason I say that. First of all, whether it is true or not, as I said, what business do we have talking about it? But number two, here's the dangerous part of that. If it's not true and you're telling people about it, guess what? You've now gone into the place where you're bearing false witness against your brother or sister. You are now bearing false witness against your brother. You're in sin. Think about that. That is one of the 10 commandments. It's one of the 10 commandments. So if, if, if it happens to be, that's why, um, you know, (laughs) I've tried to make this like a rule. If I couldn't go to court and like prove to a judge and jury that what I'm saying is true, then I'm in danger of walking in bearing false witness against my brother or sister. And now I'm walking in sin and separating myself from the presence of God by walking in sin. First question, do you know it's true? If you don't know it's true, first of all, don't say it anyway. But if you don't know it's true, you're in huge danger, massive danger. Let it go. It's not your business. It's not your servant. You're not their master. You don't judge them. It's not that, listen to me, because this is a a big thing. 
And I guess, I guess this moves us into question number two, and I will, I will talk to, yeah, exactly. My cousin Brooks said, people think their calling is to destroy ministries. Very productive for the kingdom with their 200 followers. Exactly right. L- let me transition to number two so that you hear this. Number two, are you in position to correct them personally? That's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Are you in, pose- in position to correct them personally? What does that look like? What does that mean? Are you their pastor? Are you a spiritual leader that's above them? Is it somebody, are you somebody that God has placed into their life as an overseer? That's why I said before, just before we went down, I've never understood people who go and and starts to correct their pastor or ministers that are, that are above them set as by God, as their leaders. It's like, if you attend a church where you don't agree with what your pastor is teaching or preaching. Why do you attend that church? Like I've ne- this is one thing that I've never understood. If you're going to a church where you do not agree with what the pastor's teaching or preaching, why do you go there? You know, I've actually asked people that. Like they'll kind of be like, I just don't, I don't like what my pastor preaches. And I've, I've like asked them, like, why do you attend that church? I'm like, well, you know, we feel that God's got us there you know, for, uh, for the purpose of, you know, changing, uh, you know, changing it and bringing change to the vision, bringing change to the church. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. God does not. And by the way, for everybody that's logging back on, please t- do me a favor and reshare the broadcast. We had a stupid power outage thanks to the storm, but we're back. Um, I, I always wonder, it's like God doesn't work that way. He doesn't put you in a place to change it from the bottom up. God doesn't work by insubordination. Remember that the Bible teaches that God put men into the church and the Bible calls them uh, the fivefold ministry gifts, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. So God called some out and made them spiritual leadership and then placed them into the body of Christ for the purpose of perfecting the saints. Let me just break this down for everybody that's wondering. The saints are not called to perfect the ministry gifts. It doesn't work that way. The saints are not called to perfect the ministry gifts. Uh, In fact, put that in the comments section. The saints are not called to perfect the ministry gifts. It's the ministry gifts that are set into the church to perfect the saints. Well, how come you still go there? Well, God's going to use us to bring change in that church. He doesn't do that. He's not, first of all, he's not a God of rebellion. He's a God of order. You know what God would do if he's going to change a church like that? He would either have somebody that is a spiritual leader to that pastor to come in and bring correction to whatever they may be teaching, whatever they may be doing, or God will deal with that minister themselves. He'll speak to that minister. I'm not their judge. You're not their judge. We're called to pray for them. We're called to lift them up. We're called to ask God to use them at a greater level. They're being used to perfect us, the saints. Amen. There's brother Antonio Burroughs. Love you. God bless you. Thanks for jumping on for a minute. Um, 
So number one, do we know, know what we're saying is true? Number two, are we in position to correct them personally? And the answer most of the time is no, we're not. I mean, literally, when I see people going on to social media to bring correction to, you know, whoever it might be to mock or make fun of, whether it be Brother Copeland or any of these people, any of them, anybody that's, I mean, there's been people doing it to my own family. There's people that done it to me. I've seen people do it to my father, my uncles. I've seen people do it to Pastor Rod Parsley. I've seen people do many people, many legitimate men of God with integrity and fruit behind them. And, and the question is this, are you in position to correct them? And the answer is, no, you're not. <laughs> the answer is, no, you're not. No, you're not. And to think that you are is pride. It's nothing but pride. Nothing but pride. So, so number, number one, do we know it's true? Number two, do, are, do you think, or are you in position to correct them personally? Let me tell you something. They, these men of God have men around them that are also true men of God. And, and, and let me tell you something. The men of God that I know to be some of the greatest in the world are humble, meek men that would listen. Let me, let me go, let's take a step back. They wouldn't just listen to correction or advice. You don't get to that level of success in the kingdom without seeking out corrections or seeking out advice. You don't get to the level of these men of God with, with a prideful heart. God doesn't let you stay in positions of authority that way. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You're not going to have 50 years and, and brother Antonio Burroughs on with me. He could attest to this. You're not going to have 30, 40 years of faithful ministry as a man or woman of pride walking around full of pride all the time. It, it brings destruction. It goes before a fall. The men of God that I've met through my life, let me list some of them so that you know that I'm not just talking about these fly in the by fly by night, flash in the pan people that are here one day, gone another. When I've sat down with men of God, like RW Shambach, uh, uh, Pastor Rod Parsley, my father, uh, I've met uh, Brother Hagen, uh, T.L. Osborne. Um, you talk about men like Reinhard Bonnke, who I sat at lunch with him, listened to him speak, Dr. Rodney Howard Brown, others. These are men of humility. These are men that are not, they're not walking around in pride. They'll call other men of God and say, Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think? Do you have a word on this? What's your thought on this? Men that are seeking out instruction, seeking out wisdom, seeking out, uh, uh advisory, uh, or advisory boards or having advisory boards around them. These are men that are looking for that. It's why they're in the position they are. They're meek. Did you know meekness is the key to greatness? Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is the key to inheritance. Anytime, let me just show you something. Anytime you read something in the Bible, many times if you read a principle, the opposite is also true. That's right, men of great humility. The opposite is also true. Like for example, let me say it to you this way. If pride goes before destruction, then humility goes before what the Bible says, inheritance. Pride goes before destruction, but meekness or humility goes before inheritance. For example, where there's no vision, people perish. 
but flip that. Where there is vision, people flourish. See, the opposite is also true. And so you, you start to realize and understand that humility, meekness, it's what causes people to soar. It's what causes people to uh, uh, be promoted in the kingdom of God. God cannot bless pride. That's why any of these guys, these prophets that you go around, they're, they're so full of pride, so full of themselves. You'll see they will not have extended ministries. They will not have extended ministries. Their, their, their ministries are here one day, they're gone the next. But the men of God you see that lasted. That's why I said before our, the power hit thing happened here. That, that's why I tell you this. Um, anybody that you've seen that's been a powerful man of God around the world has been a man or a woman that has been a, a, a man of humility and meekness. I promise you. Now, let me go to number three. Question number three. I want you to write these in the comments. Question, question one, do you know what you're saying is true? Question number two, are you in position to correct them personally? Question number three, and here's a very important one. Why do you feel comfortable publicly mocking or correcting them by name? Why? That's a question you need to ask yourself. Why do you feel comfortable publicly mocking them or correcting them by name? I would sit back and ask myself, if I've got a Twitter account with 32 followers and I've never done anything for the Lord, why I feel comfortable, whether I agree with their doctrine or not, whether it be Dr. John MacArthur or whether it be uh, Brother Kenneth Copeland, I don't care which side of the spectrum you look at. I don't care who, who it is. Why would I feel comfortable publicly mocking either one of those men? Why, why would I feel comfortable with that? Why would I allow myself to do that? Where you have to treat both of those men of God as though they're your brother in Christ. Most people forget this. They, re, they refuse. They refuse to treat people like they're their brothers and sisters in Christ. Number three, why do I feel comfortable publicly mocking or correcting men or women of God by name? I mean, like, first of all, I can't imagine uh, even those that I don't even believe should be in the ministry, even, even those that I, I don't agree with what they teach or preach. I can't imagine, you know, making video montages of them to put on YouTube for people to laugh at. Think about this for a minute. Think about it. Whether you agree with someone's ministry or not, whether you agree with their doctrine or not, whether you agree with their methods or not, what if God was really the one who called them? Always operate from that uh, perspective. What if, God's, what if it's God's servant and now you, can you imagine making video clips, montages and adding sound effects and adding background music to make other people laugh online because you're now mocking the man or woman of God? I mean, it's, it's not like it's new. I mean, this stuff's been going on for decades since YouTube's been around. What, what did YouTube launch in 2006? And before that, people were, were making fun of people. But since, since YouTube, it's easier than ever. You know, they've got videos of, you know, anybody that you want that's ever operated in the supernatural ministry, whether that be Benny Hinn or anybody else. 
you know, they let the bodies hit the floor videos and, you know, all this stuff. Now people doing trap beat remixes to people's uh, uh, stuff in their services and putting it online for everybody to laugh at and share to their friends and mock and point their finger. What if God's anointing a person and his power is on them and you have publicly made it your business to put that out there to make a public mockery of what God's anointing somebody to do. I want you to ask yourself that question. I mean, because here, there's people doing this. And by the way, if you're just now logging back on, take a minute to share the broadcast. What can you imagine putting together a, 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 a video montage with sound effects and music to put online, to publicly mock men and women of God? What makes you comfortable doing that? It's a question I'd like to have answered. What makes you comfortable? I can answer the question if you'd like. Pride. Pride makes you comfortable doing those kinds of things. Got to be very, very careful. Number four, and here's one that it's a great, uh, this is a great rule of thumb. The Bible teaches this. It's not going to be true in most of these situations, but if you know the person, have you talked to them personally? Many people, and this is just a rule of thumb for, for gossip and, and talking about people publicly or talking about people behind their back. Have you approached them? Have you spoken to them b- before behind the scenes? The Bible says, if you have anything against your brother or sister, go to them privately and speak with them one-on-one. If they won't receive you, bring back witnesses and talk about it again. If they still won't receive you, seek out spiritual leadership. Most of you that are watching or anybody that may listen to this later have, don't know these people personally. And so you don't have the ability to call them. But I was watching somebody recently that was recently mocked online and they got up and said from their pulpit after they were, they became aware, maybe a a couple of days later, a week later, that they'd been being mocked online uh, and talked about by people that apparently knew them. And they got up on their platform and said, listen, I know those of you that are making fun of me. You have my phone number. You've got my phone number. And they said, there's thousands of people that have my phone number. And I've never heard from you. If you've got a problem with what I'm doing, if you've got a problem with what I'm saying, call me up, talk to me, try to do what the Bible says, try to actually do as a Christian or it seems like they were speaking to men and women of God. Try to do what the Bible says and talk to me personally. You see that? And then you go uh, further. Ryan Hayes, I have a question for you. Why do you adamantly defend popular Christian ministers but publicly mock non-Christians? I've seen your letter to on Facebook and Instagram. It's disheartening. Um, Because I don't have any problem mocking unrighteousness, Ryan. Would you get, would you give, let me ask you a question. Would you give Elijah a hard time, Ryan, for mocking the prophets of Baal? God didn't even rebuke him for mocking them. He mocked them publicly. You can't get more politically incorrect than that. You can't, you can't get, uh, I mean, if God was a social justice warrior, he missed his opportunity with Elijah. He didn't rebuke Elijah. He didn't rebuke Jesus for mocking religious people. That's, it's one thing to touch God's anointed. It's another thing to, wa- to mock unrighteousness 
an anti-Christ spirit and an anti-Christ, anti-God agenda. It's one thing to do that. It's another thing to touch God's anointed. And if you don't know the difference between those two things, you're in a dangerous place. Dangerous place. It's, it's, it's not like it's something that's not in the Bible. So I'm, I'm sorry if you don't understand that, that concept. Jesus did it. The prophets did it. It's, it's not wrong to mock an anti-Christ, anti-God spirit. It's not, it's not wrong to, you know, here's the deal. You're going to have people throughout your life and ministry that don't agree with the things of God. They will not agree with the Bible. They'll not agree with the principles of scripture. In fact, there are many, there are many Well, here's the thing, Ryan, there is a difference between people who are unbelievers and people that are wicked and those that are opposing God actively. And here's what people don't understand. Go to Acts 13. You'll see a picture of all three types of people in one chapter. You'll see Paul, the apostle, who's the Christian. You'll see Sergius Paulus, who's the unbeliever. And you'll see Elemus, the sorcerer, who's actively working against the move of God. And as Paul preaches the gospel to the unbeliever, which I agree with you, the unbeliever, uh, they don't deserve love. They deserve the gospel. That's what we're called to give them. True love is preaching the gospel. If you, here's where many people miss it, Ryan, is that they say, well, you know, there's many people that aren't Christians, but they just need to be loved. The truest love that you could ever give someone who does, who's not saved is giving them the gospel because understand I can love uh, a murderer until they die and they'll go to hell. I can love uh, somebody that's actively engaged in homosexuality or lesbianism until they die. And I have no issue. Let me say this. I've never met one homosexual or lesbian that I didn't love. I don't have anything. I'm not uh, bashing them or trying to send them to hell. I've had homosexual couples attend my revival. And then in the midst of it, get saved and filled with the Holy ghost. So we're not kicking them out, but at the same time, I'm not going to stand up there and water down the message because of the fact I've got people in the crowd that don't believe like I do. You tell them the truth. That's the difference. You actually speak what the word of God says. True love tells the truth. Doesn't water down the message like some of these people are doing out here. And then literally we find out why people won't preach on holiness because later there's plenty going on behind the scenes that's kept them from preaching on holiness. And so God's got no issue mocking an anti-Christ agenda, mocking an anti-God agenda, mocking those that mock the things of God. Prophets did that. Jesus did that. The apostles did that. And I've got no problem doing it. Doesn't mean I don't love people. Let me tell you something, Ryan. I wouldn't have given my whole life, my entire life to the ministry if I didn't love people. (laughs) I, I can't imagine a bigger waste of time for my life than to go into full-time ministry if I didn't love people. (laughs) It's unbelievable. Sarcasm is not a sin, Ryan. Sarcasm is not a sin. And there's people, plenty of people online, Ryan, I'm sure you know this by now, that are just straight up trolls. They're not there to check to, for you to change their mind and to bring them, uh, you know, into a place of belief. 
They're there to just straight up be a troll. You know how I know? You go to their YouTube page and there's no content and no profile picture. You go to their Twitter page and there's little content. There's just them retweeting stuff and then no, no profile. It's an egg. You know, when I've got people that come on my page to, to literally troll me and I go to their Facebook page and they're like, well, you don't understand uh, the Bible because the Bible says such and such. And then I go to their Facebook page and their Facebook picture is like a goat with horns in the ears. It's a pentagram without the star. And it's like satanic posts and just like death metal. Uh, I might have the understanding that they're really not trying to engage in a theological conversation. It doesn't take a genius to understand what's going on. Doesn't, as uh, George W. Bush used to say, you don't have to be a rocket surgeon. <laughs> so it's like, why in the world? Why in the world? <laughs> it just blows my mind that people even try to make that distinction. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing at all. And so it needs to be said because it's funny to me how you got people in the body of Christ who feel it's so fine to just start, literally go out and start trashing men of God publicly. Think it's totally fine. Got no issue with it. Why do you feel comfortable publicly mocking them? No, that's not true, Ryan. That's not true at all. What you said is patently false. He said, no, it's not. You are correct. But the sarcastic words can lead them further from God and the gospel. You can't be further from God and the gospel, right? Even reformed people understand that you are either a Christian or you're not a Christian. You can't be further from God. You're either outside of God or you're inside of God. There's no distance. You're either dead in your trespasses and in your sins. Your mind is darkened. And you think the things of God to be foolishness or you are someone who has come into his marvelous light and now you're a new creation in Christ Jesus and old things are passed away. There's no close or far. You're either outside or you're in. And it's the gospel that's the, here. Here, let, let me address this because I'm, I'm very, very glad that Ryan brought this up. Very glad that Ryan brought this up because this is the mindset of current generation Christians. Let me be very plain and very clear about this. You can't get people saved via conversation, via reasoning, via debates. It doesn't work. Paul tried it. It was the one failure of his ministry when he was in Athens. And he tried to uh, debate the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers in Athens. And the Bible said, uh, many didn't believe. Some said, we'll hear you again on this matter. Others said, you're crazy. And only a few believed. It was the least successful moment of his entire ministry. Entire ministry. And then he recognized that. And you know what he said to the Corinthian church? He said, when I came to you, I didn't come in the enticing words of men's wisdom, but in the power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost, so that your faith would not rest in what? The wisdom of men, but in what? The power of God. That is what Paul recognized. You can't get somebody saved debating them. You can't get somebody saved through conversation. It is, Paul was very clear. Romans 1, 16. 
I am not ashamed of what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. It's the gospel that's the power. It's not your ideas. It's not philosophies. It's not whether or not you're sarcastic in your comments and your responses. It's the gospel. Do you honestly think that if the, do you honestly think that the gospel is so weak that if it went out, well, exactly, Matt, I agree with you, but I am sarcastic. Sometimes I don't deny the fact that I am, I am, I am sarcastic. And many times I'll become, I will be like that in my comment section. And it's my right to be. And it's not pushing people further from God. They're already outside of God. Are you telling me though? Um, are you telling me though that you think the gospel is so weak that if somebody had someone, something sarcastic said to them somewhere in their past, that the gospel is so weak that it can't grip the human heart and the Holy Spirit pulls somebody to Jesus Christ. Do you honestly think it's harder for God to pull somebody to Christ do you think the gospel is so ineffective in its working that because somebody had a sarcastic comment said to them one time, the gospel now has to work extra hard to work? It's not the case. It's not the case. How is it? it the gospel does its work. It does its work. It's not hindered by anything. The gospel's not hindered by somebody that was a mass murderer. The gospel's not hindered by somebody that was a child molester. The gospel's not hindered by somebody that was an atheist. The gospel's not hindered by somebody that was a Muslim. The gospel is not hindered and the word of God is not bound. It's not, it, it, it's not affected negatively because somebody had life experiences. And so, no, I don't repent of things I've put in the comments section. I, I, I'm not sorry for sarcasm by any means, because it's my, here's the, here's the way I think about it. It's my channel. People are coming to harass me. So if you don't want a sarcastic retort, don't come harass me. <laughs> it's bottom line. If you don't like it, you don't like it. Go watch somebody else's video. YouTube's full of them. I'm not offended by it. And I don't, I'm not bent out of shape. I actually enjoy trolling trolls. <laughs> I enjoy trolling trolls. And, and you ask the question, should we not try to build bridges with unbelievers via debate and uh, via conversations? I don't even know that we really should, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm not against conversing with sinners, but I also understand it's only the gospel message. It is only the gospel message that brings people to Jesus. That's it. That's it. It's not about a tone shutting. No. Their heart, no, that's, that's not true. You can't over-harden someone's heart. I understand, Ryan. You can't over-harden somebody's heart. Their heart's either hard and they're dead in trespasses and sins, or the gospel has drawn them to salvation. There's only two states. There's not more than that. You can't further harden someone's heart. They're dead. You can't take a dead person and make them more dead than they're dead right now. I can't go to the cemetery and make those people more dead. If you're dead, you're dead. And that's every sinner. Every sinner is dead in trespasses and sins. Only the gospel can bring them to life. That's it. Debate doesn't do it. Conversation doesn't do it unless that conversation is the gospel message. That's how it works. If you know a person, have you talked with them personally? 
If you have ought against your brother, go to them privately, not blow them up on Facebook, not blow them up on Twitter, blow them up on Instagram, go to them privately. If they won't receive you, bring witnesses with you, talk to them again. If they still won't receive you, then you bring it to, uh, those that are the leadership of your church or the local assembly. And that's if there's a believer that has ought against you. Uh, the question is, if you know them, if you know the person that you're speaking about, have you talked with them personally? Most people will not do that because they don't like confrontation. They'd rather sit behind their screen of their phone at their house and put stuff out about men of God. That's what they'd rather do. Here's a question. Number five, number five, put it in the comments section. Would you say it to their face? And the answer to that one, almost 99.9% of the time is no, is no. You would not go up to that man or woman of God and publicly mock what they did on the platform or what they said on their whatever. You, you know what I'm saying? People wouldn't say it to their face. Don't ever say things to, about people that you wouldn't say to them personally or haven't said to them personally. I can't imagine. I mean, I can't imagine. There's things that people I love. There's things they've done that I just, I, I, I didn't understand it at the time, but I'm young. So you know what I do? Keep my mouth shut and say, you know what? I may understand this better as I mature in the faith. As I get more revelation, understanding from God's word, I may understand it. It's like the, uh, it's like the uh, quote Mark Twain had, and I'm probably butchering it, but Mark Twain, who wrote Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, he had a quote. He said, when I was 18, my dad was a complete idiot. But when I turned 25, I was surprised to see what my dad had learned in seven years. <laughs> and that's where it's at, is that people, it blows my mind what people are willing to say and do online because they're not having to stand in front of the person or say it to them directly. Would you say it to their face? That was number five. Number one, do you know it's true? Number two, are you in position to correct them personally? Number three, why do you feel comfortable publicly mocking or correcting them by name? Number four, if you know them, have you talked with them personally? Number five, would you say it to their face? Now let me get into two that are uh, very, very sobering thoughts. Go with me to Psalm 105. I'll give you two more, and then I'm going to pray for you. Sorry for the delay because of the power outage. It'll all be on the podcast as well, spliced together. Psalm 105. Listen to this now. Psalm 105, and this is an entire passage here, but I'm going I'm to read you these last two verses, and it's not out of context. It's talking about the people of God when they were wandering uh, from nation to nation. I'll actually read it starting there. Psalm 105, verse 12. When they, and speaking of the nation of Israel, were few in number of little account and sojourners in the land, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, verse 14, he allowed no one, that's God, to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account. Verse 15 saying, touch not mine anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. That's the 15th verse of Psalm 105. It's also mirrored again, uh, I believe in second Chronicles. 
touch not mine anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. Don't touch my anointed people. If God's willing to rebuke kings, now you think about this. This was before there was righteousness. I'm talking about before a person could be righteous. It's before the blood of Jesus. It's before redemption. It's before the new covenant. These old covenant Israel was not living in the kind of covenant we have with God now. It was a worse covenant. Hebrews tells us that. Hebrews chapter 9. I'll give you all seven at the end. Hebrews 9 says we have a better covenant established on better promises. So if God was bent out of shape in an old covenant that's not as good as ours, when people touched his anointed ones and did his prophets harm, how do you think God feels now? Think about this. Now that his spirit dwells in us bodily and he's in the men and women He's using the men and women. He's literally, we've become the hands and feet of Jesus on the earth. How do you, if God felt like this back then, when he was not indwelling his people, when there was no blood covenant that was eternal, it it was an ongoing blood covenant. And if he was upset about it then and rebuking kings about this back then and allowed no one to oppress them, How do you think God feels now? How do you think God feels now about his anointed ones and his prophets? Let me say this to you. I go back to the story of uh, David and his elite soldiers bringing back the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem in 2 Samuel 6. And it was already, they had the instructions, don't touch the Ark of the Covenant. That's what carried God's anointing and his glory. Don't touch it with your hands. You're to put it through, put the poles through the loops and carry it on your shoulders. And the Bible says the oxen stumbled and the cart shifted and it looked like the ark was going to fall. And Uzzah reached out his hand and touched the ark of God. And God's anger was kindled against him, kindled against him. And he struck him dead right there on the spot, struck him dead. God was mad then. You don't touch his anointing. I don't care. It doesn't matter what, what it is. doesn't matter what it is because once again, I am not, they're not my servant. I'm not their master. I am God's servant. They're his servant. I'm not judging another man's master or I'm not judging another master's servant. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to reach out my hand and touch the ark. See, because understand this, every one of us in the new covenant are the ark of God. Every one of us, every one of us, we carry the same anointing in our bodies that was in the ark of the covenant, power of the Holy ghost. Every one of us. And so I want you to catch this with me. If he was not cool with people reaching out and touching a box and he wasn't cool with his old Testament people being touched by Kings and nations, you think he's cool with it now? When people under a better covenant with the blood of Jesus, with the Holy Spirit indwelling them, you think he's cool with it now? He ain't cool with it. He's not cool with it. (laughs) Uh, Let's go to number seven. Number seven, and this is a big one. 
Let me go with you to Ephesians chapter four, and then I'm going to pray. Ephesians four, I'm going to read you verses one through three, a sobering thought, a sobering message. Listen to this. Ephesians four, one through three. I therefore, this is Paul, if you didn't know, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Walk worthy of your calling. I'm going to take some questions at the end of this broadcast, by the way. Number two, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, verse three, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. This is talking about Christians among Christians. Let me, let me take this to you here and read it to you, by the way, in the New Living Translation, because it'll open your eyes. I want you to just kind of see how this thought for thought translation puts it. Listen to, the, listen to this quickly. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. So I want you to see this now. Very, very interesting thought here. Always making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Let me tell you something. People are going to make mistakes. Here's the, the seventh question. Why aren't you making room for someone's faults? That is to say, if there are any, if it's not like somebody that doesn't understand how the supernatural works and you're just literally mocking people because you've never operated in the supernatural power of God before. Because that happens and that is happening right now. There's people mocking people left and right because they don't understand the power of God. They just don't understand it. They've never, they don't know it, doesn't happen in their church, they don't operate in it, and so they don't get it when somebody that's actually doing it does it. Why aren't you making room for people's faults, if there are any to start with? And I don't, what I mean is if you're not misconstruing what's going on as a fault, because most of the time, if it's a man of God, it's most of the time they don't understand. People don't understand the anointing. And I'll tell you, that's the majority of the problem. People don't understand the anointing. And so they mock it. They mock it. Did you see so-and-so? He blows on people when he prays for him. Yeah. Read your Bible. Jesus did the same. Just be happy. I'm not spitting in the dirt and making mud to rub in your eyes like Jesus. Did you see so-and-so? People laugh at his, at his services. Oh yeah. What a demonic manifestation. I don't understand why that happens. Why do people fall down on the ground? Happened in the Bible. People blow my mind. They don't understand the anointing. So they just, instead of like actually being quiet and listening to teaching, they just mock it because they don't understand how God even moves. They couldn't discern. People can't discern if something's the Holy Ghost. They have a problem. (laughs) How do you not know you've got a homosexual couple in your choir for a couple of years? 
Who, where was the discernment? Why does no one know that? Why does no one know it? I'll take some questions at the end. Uh, I'm going to go over through the seven one more time so you can get them for your notes. I'll take some questions, then I'll pray and I'll tuck you into bed. Number one, do you know it's true? What you're saying to other people about other people, do you know it's true or are you in danger? Are you in danger of bearing false witness against your brother? Number two, are you in position to correct that person publicly or personally? The answer is probably no. Why do you feel comfortable publicly mocking or correcting them by name? Why? Do you know how few people, when the church was even just getting started, Brother Antonio Burroughs said here on Periscope, God spoke to me very clearly last night and said, I will not be mocked. And that's true. God will not be mocked. Book of Galatians says so. Thank you. Do you know it's true? Are you in position to correct them personally? Probably not. Number three, why do you feel comfortable publicly mocking or correcting them by name? Number four, if you know them, have you talked to them personally rather than just blasting them publicly? Number five, would you say it to their face? Number six, why are you comfortable touching God's anointed? Why do you feel comfortable doing that? And number seven, why haven't you made room for the faults of others like the Bible commands us to in Ephesians 4 and Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13? It's dangerous. You may not understand something, but why is it our business to go online and start mocking people? Let me tell you, I've unfollowed a few of these meme, meme accounts. Because it went from being funny to being blasphemous. I want you to hear what I'm saying. People doing everything they can to make a joke. And they're making jokes about the move of the Holy Ghost and about the Holy Spirit himself. Let me tell you, it's a dangerous thing to mock the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Dangerous thing. Don't mock the Holy Ghost. Don't mock his manifestations. Don't mock those that God's using. Bible says you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. If they've got fruit behind them and integrity behind them, you know them. You know them. You know them. Uh, Karen, that's not true. Read about the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus spoke and all the soldiers fell backward, not forward. Let me take some questions before, before I pray for you. Who has any questions on anything I've been talking about or teaching tonight? Pop them up in the comment section, whether you're on Periscope, Facebook, YouTube, I can see them all in one, in one uh, row. And then we're going to pray. I say this, the reason you say, well, why, why are you doing a broadcast like this? I'm doing a broadcast like this because over the last four days or so, I've seen about 30 to 40 posts of people mocking men and women of God 
by name, sometimes with videos attached on social media. And I'm blown away that people have the intestinal fortitude to actually mock men and women of God publicly and by name. Number six, why are you comfortable touching God's anointed? That was what it was, Emmy. I would be, let me tell you, I'd be very careful even joining up with people that are comfortable mocking. Because let me tell you something else. It brings a spirit of division. You're welcome, Shelly. I'm not, I'm not entertaining that stuff. Brandon asks, what, could you scroll back up to that, please? What would you do about an, right there, anointed man of God with integrity using the pulpit to mock and demean members without confirming something or talking privately first? The pastor of the church is mocking and demeaning members without confirming something or talking privately first. Well, it's unscriptural, number one. And so uh, if I was the member of that church, I would do what the Bible says, where it says, if you have ought against your brother, if you have anything against your brother, your pastor is also a brother in Christ. I would approach your pastor privately and, and, and express your concerns. Uh, if they didn't approach you, you approach them. You take the higher ground there and, uh, and, and talk it out. If they won't, if they won't receive it and they're just willing to bash you and say things that are untrue, you may have to find another church because now your pastor is just engaged in lying about you publicly. And so that's how, that's how I would deal with that. Uh, Erica says, when you, when you're faced with those believers and non-believers mocking your own pastor, what can, or should you do? especially when you're angry as heck about it. It's a great question and keep going up. Don't leave it yet. It's a great question. And, um, you do have a great pastor, a very great pastor. Uh, I would just let, I would let the heathen rage to be honest with you. Um, you don't have to, here's one thing you got to remember. You don't have to defend God. You don't have to defend his church. You don't have to defend the moving of his spirit. He's God. He doesn't need our defense. And when it comes to your pastor, um, I would just, I would let the heathen rage. There's even, there's not even a point getting involved in a, in a conversation with them because they're already misinformed and they're already angry and you're not going to change their minds by telling them, well, we bless the city and we do days, nothing that you're going to say at this point. And I know the story, obviously, but nothing you're going to say at this point is going to change those people that are emotionally charged by stuff that's even been put in the media that's not even fully true. So I would just let the heathen rage. I don't, who, what, what do you care? Let, let them be mad. Believer or non-believer, who cares? Who cares? It's not your job to do it anyway, so just walk in peace. It's true. Brother Randall Holmes, it's like cannibalism in the body of Christ. You're welcome. Well, exactly. 
who, scroll up, who said that? Maria said, why would you make fun of a spiritual leader when God's the only one who can give or take away that spot? Exactly right. Exactly, exactly right. Am I missing any? Go back up. Who is that right there? Matt said, I defended my church because they were mocked. I went through them one after the other out of love, but was angry. Was it wrong to defend the extent of answering every negative post? Um, Yeah, in those cases, you know, Matt, it's almost like a waste of your time because again, people aren't on there doing that because they have a heart to like know, well, what is the church really about? You know, they're they're really just there to spew hate and it's, they're not there to have their mind changed. It's almost like you're just getting angrier and it's a waste of your own time uh, in that way. So it's not that necessarily you were wrong to defend your church. It's just that it can be a waste of your time because, you know, they're not interested in, in changing their opinion. I said, try, pray for them. It's like trying. I'm very, I'm trying. I understand. I understand. <laughs> Uh, Pamela said, would you expose a false pastor that is leading many astray or trying to lead one of your members or family members away from the truth of God's word? Now, that's a different situation because if what they're doing is directly um, contradictory to the written word of God, again, though, you deal with the principle of what the word of God teaches, I don't have to demonize a person to teach a principle of God's word. You know, if there's, there's many people that say, well, you know, healing's not for today. And anybody that preaches healing is telling you a lie. And that's, that's, you know, it's, it's demonic and whatever. I can sit down in the Bible with you and prove to you scripturally that God's not changed his stance on healing And that there's no reason to believe that healing has come to an end. But if there's someone that doesn't believe like that, see, keep this in mind all the time, Pamela, keep in mind that anybody that you stand against, uh, you don't determine their salvation. Christ does. So what if this is somebody that's a brother or sister in Christ, they might just be off on a subject. It's not that they're trying to be evil. Maybe they're truly off on a subject. They don't have understanding or teaching. That's why it's better to deal with principles than to demonize people. You know, let's deal with the principle because if the principle is true, I don't have to defame your character uh, in order to prove my point. I can actually prove the point from scripture and, and get people to see the truth via scripture rather than the defamation of character. Charlie said, what does it take to be adopted into your family looking to move in? $200,000. That's it. It's a steal. I'm telling you. It's a steal. Thank you, Nick. Um, Brian said, if a person has sin that is a stronghold, does that change their salvation? Um, I'm of the belief, Brian, that you can walk away from your salvation covenant by constant unrepentant sin to the point where uh, you've seared your conscience and continually walk in unrepentant sin and then at that point, it's not, it's not that God is leaving you. He said, he'll never leave you, never forsake you, but you can, you can walk away from him. For example, in John 15, where the Bible talks about Jesus said uh, that you, I am the vine, you are the branches. Uh, but then he goes on to say, if any of you, 
uh, do not produce fruit, my father, who is the husbandman or the vine dresser, will come and cut those branches off of the vine and throw them into a pile to be burned. So the question is, who are these people who were once connected to the vine, but refused to produce fruit that are severed from the vine by God and then thrown into a pile to be burned? Because you can't say, well, that was, you know, that no, only Christians are connected to the vine. There's no sinner connected to the vine that is Christ. If you're in him, you're saved. So no sinner could be cut off because if, if you're not attached to the vine, you can't be cut off from the vine. So who are those people in John 15? It's people who were saved, but didn't produce the fruit of salvation. So what happened? Finally, after they refused to produce fruit, God cut them off, meaning they were separated from Christ. That's, that's the uh, position I hold on it. If you wouldn't do it to Jesus, why would you do it to others? Exactly true. It's a great point, Winona. What if you think you're dealing with a false pastor? Go to another church. But you have to know by the scripture. You don't just say, well, I, I don't like what he's been preaching, so I think he's a false pastor. Uh, Keisha said, what do you do when a brother or sister uh, goes up to preach and talk about your business and it's obvious to everyone? Do you confront the person and forgive and forget about it? No, you confront them. You confront them. The Bible says if you have anything against your brother or sister, you go to them privately and you deal with it one-on-one. -on -one. If they won't receive you, you bring back witnesses for the second conversation. And again, if they don't receive you, that's when you get spiritual leadership involved. And then here's the thing is that you don't do it with an attitude. You don't do it with anger. You do it literally uh, with gentleness and respect and humility. The Bible teaches great question. a great question. Charlie said, done. Scroll back up. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that, Brother Burroughs. Thank you for being on tonight. That means a lot to me. God bless you, my friend. <laughs> what uh, William uh, says, what specific verses, words of encouragement would you give to your pastor that you love very much that is dealing with some serious hatred from the very community he loves so much? Um, maybe, maybe, uh, do not grow weary in well-doing for in due season. If you faint not, I would maybe talk about that, uh, because understand one of the things that's, that becomes laborious for a leader is when you're doing everything you can to pour out your heart and do the work of God. And there are people that oppose you for doing it. And maybe you don't have people that are constantly encouraging you, which by the way is why fellowship is so important. Uh, but encourage them with that. Hey, don't grow weary in well-doing. We recognize the hard work you're doing, pastor. We love you. We're standing with you. We're praying for you. Your due season's coming. You're going to reap. Don't faint. Don't get weary in well-doing. Stuff like that. I would, I would uh, direct you to those types of scriptures. Great question. Great question. I understand that. Love you, Luenda. Amen. Great question. Any other questions before I pray for you tonight? We have time for just a couple of more. Uh, I, that's half a question. How do you deal with leaders that insist you wear a, that could be anything. I'm, I'm almost scared for the rest of that question. 
to be, to be asked. I am going to pray for your mom, Marquise. Uh, Katie's asking, have you noticed that pastors don't mark people from their pulpits anymore? Some still do. My grandfather used to, my uncles do. And so, uh, the Bible teaches that you should do that after multiple times, uh, somebody walking in rebellion, you're going to have to scroll back up. There's a lot coming through, uh, warn them once, then twice. Then after that, uh, the Bible says, mark them publicly and have nothing else to do with them. They're living in rebellion. Insist that you wear a mask, go back up. So what's the first half? Uh, how do you deal with leaders that insist you wear a mask? Um, I mean, like I don't wear a mask at our church, but they don't, they don't force us to do so. Um, maybe if you're very, very uncomfortable with it, you'll have to deal with church on online until you, you can go back. I mean, like if it offends your faith, I don't know what else to tell you. Find a church where they don't require masks. Dave says, if as a worship leader recently told the congregation to slap somebody and tell them X, Y, Z, do I need to repent for causing church members to physically assault each other? It's always been my opinion that worship leaders not need to stop telling people to turn, slap somebody and tell, because I'm a very literal person. And if you tell me to slap somebody, I'm going to slap somebody. And so I was in that worship service, David, and you know very well, I filed the lawsuit against you. (laughs) Zach Wilson asks a very poignant question. If I could use that word, is social media worth it? Or is it worse than the good it brings? I'm sure that he means on the average. Of course, we're using it right now to preach the gospel and to uh, and teach the word of God. I enjoy it for that reason. I don't do it as much, especially on platforms that tick me off. I haven't gone on Facebook for the purpose of being on social media in a couple of years now. I only post there, but I'm not like going on there to read posts. Uh, I still scroll my Twitter feed because I follow a lot of stuff that I pick up from there. But it still ticks me off. That's why they now have determined there's a new phrase they're using, doom scrolling. It's supposed to be um, people just going through bad news for, you know, and you get sucked into it. I, I can tell you it probably causes more uh, harm for the average person than it does good. People have compared themselves among themselves, all kinds of anxiety from that. Um, there's probably pe- be people that be better uh, to get off of it because they can't handle it emotionally or mentally. While Zach is a very solid dude, I'm not talking about him, but I use it. I like to broadcast from here. I use YouTube a lot. I think YouTube's a great resource and a tool. Um, Facebook, I don't get on except to post. Twitter, I like to post sometimes. I like to read stuff on there. Instagram, I'm on the most, I would say. Tinder. (laughs) Um, Lacey said, can you walk back into your salvation and repent and still be a Christian? I would say, Lacey, uh, you know, there's only one unpardonable sin. And so, yes, you have time to repent. If you're feeling the conviction of God and if you've heard the gospel, you can, you can ask God for forgiveness. You can repent. Of course you can. Uh, Danielle said, another good thing to do is not be a part of the problem. If the community is showing hatred, make sure you're not giving them your ear and pray for your pastor. I agree. Totally agree. You separate yourself is what Danielle's saying. You separate yourself from people that do not. Listen, if I've got people that are just constantly bashing ministries and ministers that I know and love, why would I continue spending time with those people? I'm unequally yoked. They don't even believe like I believe. And if I got people that are just bashing my pastor, what in the world am I doing fellowshipping with them? 
They obviously do not believe what I believe or stand where I stand in the faith. Yoke up with people in faith. That's one of the biggest mistakes we make in this generation. We're not yoked up with people of, of like faith, unequally yoked. And then we wonder why everything's such a struggle all the time. You've got the wrong people in your life. It's not a cult. It's called wisdom. If you're, if you're a recovering alcoholic, you don't hang out at the bar with a bunch of other alcoholics. Um, what do we do if a prophet prophesied, but it didn't come true? Depends on what it is. If it's, if it's something you're still believing for, stand on the word that was given to you and pray it through. If it's something that doesn't confirm with your spirit, like a life choice, move on or shelf it and see what God does in the future. Love you. John said, your Twitter feed's hilarious. Thank you. Uh, Reverend Ted, there are people in my church who have learned a certain teaching concerning deliverance from demons. It's causing division in my church for people who don't believe Christians can't be possessed in their bodies. It's, uh, it's being taught that Christians can have demons if they haven't denounced the demons from their lives. That is not true whatsoever, by the way. Uh, you cannot be demon possessed as a Christian. It's just impossible. The Bible says that if you're going to, uh, if, if, if a robber is going to come in and overtake a house, they must first bind up the strong man in order to do it. You're filled with the Holy Ghost. What you're saying is, see, because every Christian, though, may, though they may not be baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, every Christian is filled with the Holy Ghost. Every Christian. You can't be saved without the Holy Ghost, the Bible teaches. So you're telling me, or not you, but that's what they would be saying, that a demon can come into your body and overtake the Holy Ghost, eject him from your body, and then inhabit your body. It, 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 it can't happen. A Christian cannot be demon-possessed. Now, can they be oppressed? Absolutely. Can they be depressed? Absolutely. But they cannot be possessed by a demon spirit. It's not possible. That would mean that the spirit of that demon would have to overtake the spirit of the Holy Spirit that's in you, and it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It has nothing to do with denouncing every demon. Uh, what should we do about submitting to the possibility of church being deemed non-essential and the... I, I, I would say you never, and the churches that comply and, and don't stand and fight, I would say never, never bow your knee. Uh, to the church being deemed non-essential. Uh, let it be something you're willing to go to jail for. Just get it, get it in your spirit to that degree. <laughs> Thanks, Ariana. Am I giving into fear if I can see them wear one? Uh, no, it doesn't mean you're, it doesn't mean that you have fear that you're wearing a mask. They're making you wear one so you can go to work. I have to wear one when I fly to go preach. You know, like I, I can't get on the plane to go preach unless I'm wearing a mask. So I'm not afraid I'm gonna catch the virus. I'm just, I'm wearing it on the plane because I have to, to go preach somewhere. You better believe as soon as I get off, it's come, it comes off. Sometimes it comes off on the plane. <laughs> I agree, Drea. It's good to sow a seat of honor. Don't lend your ear. Amen. Stone him at the gate. <laughs> yeah, demons and deliverance. Great questions. What if you're oppressed by a demon? 
take authority over it and cast it out. Absolutely. Yes, we need to protect our pastors without question. Got to wear pants on the plane too, which is horrible. (laughs) People uh, being oppressed. You can be oppressed by something. You can walk, you can live in oppression, but it doesn't mean you've got a demon living inside you. You understand what I mean? Uh, I've cast demons out of people before, you know, demon possessed people that were manifesting demonically. I've cast those demons out. But obviously, if somebody is, uh, is b- battling chronic depression or suicidal thoughts, they're not demon-possessed. You can be oppressed as a Christian, and you've got to get free from oppression. But it doesn't mean there's a demon living inside your body. It just means it's coming against you. It's attacking you. Just in the same way that you, a Christian can be sick, but just because a Christian is sick doesn't mean, uh, doesn't mean that they're demon-possessed. The Bible calls sickness an oppression, Acts 10, 38. All, he went about healing all of those that were oppressed by the devil, for the Lord was with him. Sickness is an oppression. doesn't mean you have a demon in your body. It just means that you're being attacked by the enemy. He's trying to press down on what God said is yours and try to weigh on you. I've never seen an oppressed Christian manifest. I've seen possessed people manifest. See, a, possess, a person that's oppressed, it doesn't mean that they have a demon inside them that's going to manifest. Did I miss one up above or no? So should we continue to attend a church that complies with the closer mandate? No. At this point, get a new church. I mean, like at this point, if your church is not open, there's a problem. There's a major problem. Like if your, if your church hasn't opened at this point, major problem, I would go to another church. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. If your church hasn't opened by now, that's a great question. Rich, can you have generational curses as a Christian? I don't believe you can. I don't believe you can because how can anyone curse what God's already blessed? And the Bible says you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1, 3. And so understand this. Um, uh, Just like in the book of Numbers, the prophet Balaam couldn't even curse Old Testament people of God because God had blessed them. And so how can you curse what God's already blessed? How can the devil put a curse on unbelievers? And how can a curse come down from a generation, it literally shifts your family tree. When you come in and become a new creature in Christ, the old life is gone, all of it, and a new life has begun. In fact, what, in my opinion, I've written extensively on this, what many people call a generational curse, in my opinion, many times, learned behaviors. Well, you know, brother, type 2 diabetes runs through our family. No, it's just that you wake up every morning like the rest of your family did and have a plate full of biscuits and gravy with a big glass of orange or apple juice and then polish it off with a Danish and then go to work and drink a, you know, 60 uh, grams of carbs, white chocolate mocha in a venti cup and then have a double cheeseburger for lunch and come and have fried chicken for dinner. It's not a generational curse. It's learned behaviors. It's choices that have brought you into struggle. Same with finances. We've never had nothing, brother. And it's the things you learn to do that you have to break those things and use wisdom. It's not a demon of type two diabetes. You understand what I mean? 
the difference between oppression and depression. It's just that depression is a form of oppression. You're being oppressed with a spirit of depression. The same way you can be oppressed with a spirit of infirmity, oppressed with a sickness, you can be oppressed by depression. It's a form of oppression. I didn't ask a whole question. What if the people bashing leaders are your family and you're a young person living with them? Well, I mean, if you're still submitted to family members as a young person, uh, you still have to honor. I don't know what the situation is, but you always honor your father and mother. You can honor someone without holding the same beliefs that they hold. Uh, and there's, and you're, it's not being counted against you if you're a minor and living with people at this point, you will make your own decisions at one point, but you stay true to what you know to be right. Uh, but obviously you honor your father, mother, whoever it might be. You don't dishonor them because they have different beliefs than you. <laughs> That's true. They don't Jody. God bless you, Gabrielle. Thank you. Or Gabriel, if it was Gabriel, sorry. <laughs> Polish it off with the Danish, that's right. Thank you, Brian. Amen, Charlie. I have broken it. I'm living free today from every quesarito, every chalupa. Waking up early in the morning, there's an ominous feeling of presence in the room. It happened to me yesterday morning. I sat up and got out, walked right through the presence, kept saying, praise the Lord, love you, Jesus. Uh, yeah, you just cast it out. Take your authority in Christ, cast it out in Jesus' name. Your house belongs to God. Your, your, your property, you're in covenant with Christ. You don't allow it to stay. Speak to it, command it to go in Jesus' name. Excellent question. What about mental health? What about mental health? Amanda said, whatever had come against our family, the curse is there to be reversed. Your trajectory has changed. You learn new life, new behavior. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Choices must be brought in that brought you in a struggle. No question. People battle uh, bad choices more than they do demons. Um, you can benefit from a generation. Yes, the benefits are there. Paul taught that, taught, told that to Timothy. He said, I saw this faith that was first in your grandmother, then it was in your mother, now it's in you. I can see that it's in you. You can benefit from previous generations in that way, but you cannot have uh, negative spirits uh, passed down to you and literally uh, curses come upon you generationally once you're a Christian. It doesn't work that way. Uh, that's one reason the, op the door may be open, Crystal. Uh, she said, how does, why does oppression occur? Sin? That's one reason. It could be lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If you don't know how to walk in victory over the devil, or if you don't know how to walk in authority uh, by the word, uh, it could be the same thing. You know, if you don't know where your property begins or ends, you don't know where to put a fence up legally. Same thing. Do you believe that the body of Christ should come together? I mean, every church and fight against the new regime. I mean, in the spirit of by declaring war against the enemies of God, I feel that this will be so, so bad now. And we have Christians having each other's back. I don't know what you mean. The new regime, uh, all Christians will never come together. They just won't. It, it'll never happen in that one. I mean, until heaven people's flesh and the way they believe about the Bible will keep them separated. I don't know what you mean by the new regime. Uh, I don't know if you mean spiritually or in the natural realm, 
but it's just, there should be a unity in the body of Christ. Doesn't mean there's going to be. Thank you, Charlie, for sowing a seed. Is that the 200,000 we were talking about for, uh, um, adoption? I'll be checking. Thank you, Erica. Charlie, thank you. Amen. If you'd like to follow their lead, those that are sowing seeds, you're welcome to do so. You can easily sow a seed by going to miracleword.com, hashtag donate on Facebook or Twitter. You can use a cash app, MWGive. Venmo is the same, MWGive, or PayPal is available. Thank you uh, to everybody that's sowing. Daniel's right. Everyone talks about generational curses, but never about generational blessings. And they're even better. Generational blessings are better. God bless you too. Thank you, Brian. Yep, me either, Emmy. Spirit of infirmity from relatives doesn't jump on believers. You cast it out and take authority over it. Tell you what, for everybody that's sowing tonight, $85 or more sowing this month, we're going to send you the Power of Daily Bible Reading by Pastor Joel Stockstill. This will blow your hair back. Great book. I love it, and I love him. He and I are working on a plan for the new year for all of us to read through the Bible in 90 days. It's going to be great. Uh, if you'd like to receive it and you're sowing, go to miracleword.com forward slash offer and fill out the form so we know where to send this book. Uh, it'll be a great blessing to you. And listen, anybody that's sowing, bigly, if that's not a word, I just made it one. Thanks, Nick. Love you. Nick Patari, sowing 100. Anybody sowing bigly tonight, $1,000 or more, it's time to do it. Do it. We're going to send you this hardcover edition, further faster, limited, and also genuine leather, life application study Bible. Many of your questions will be answered. Some say demons can come in, Christians, through open doors like sin or sexual immorality in the flesh, but not in the spirit where the Holy Spirit resides. What say you? This is a, different, a differentiation than renewing of the mind. I'm referring to someone who is renewing the mind and bringing it under truth, the word Jesus. The, the, the answer remains, Shara, uh, that the Holy Spirit lives in every believer. So how is a demon going to inhabit a body uh, that the Holy Spirit dwells in? How is a demon going to eject the Holy Spirit from someone's body? Because they both won't live there at the same time. You can't be possessed by a demon and possessed by the Holy Spirit at the same time. It just doesn't work. It doesn't happen. And so I'm just telling you, I don't believe it's scriptural. You don't see any Christians in the Bible demon possessed. Not any. Not any. I mean, there's just not any. The Bible says Christians will cast out demons. But it does not say that uh, Christians can be demon-possessed, nor do we have narrative in the New Testament story of, uh, of Christians being demon-possessed. My grandparents and parents served along Lord for a long time. There are many times I've been blessed because of the fruits of their labor. Yeah. Amen. Love you, Jake. Love you guys. Thanks for hanging with me. Here's a question by Matt. What do you do if you pray for something, say someone or something such as an animal to be healed and they aren't? Is it because your faith isn't great enough? I hope this doesn't sound bad. Always thankful just would you say it's God's will. I mean, 
uh, his will is to prosper us. I'm just wondering if some things we aren't meant to go through for our, our strength, again, and being transparent. Um, no, I believe it's always God's will to heal uh, his people, always. Um, there are several reasons um, why, and I've done a whole Miracle Word University course on divine healing. I talk about why people aren't healed. I talk about uh, roadblocks to healing. In fact, if you guys would like to check out Miracle Word University, plus we have a new course that's launching this month on divine prosperity. Understanding biblical prosperity is coming out at the end of this month. Um, Matt, I've got the whole thing set up right now. Uh, it's only $69 a course, very cheap, but that all of your questions about healing and prayer answered there. We did over, that's over 20 hours of teaching in just that bundle alone. And it will definitely help you. But I, be, I do believe it's God's will for all people to be healed, especially his children. Nobody Jesus healed was a Christian. Amen. Love you. Thank you, Rohan. Oh, I understand. Uh, possibly. I mean, you, you could possibly open doors to things uh, through wickedness. Yes, I'm not denying that. You can open the door to the devil as a Christian. There's no question. He just can't possess you, but you can give him. Just like you could have a dog run in your house that, do, that you don't own. It doesn't mean it's your dog, but it ran in your house because you left the door open. You got to get the dog out of your house. Sure, Brian, very easily. Jesus was teaching there are different levels of demonic strength and power and that some require a different level of, of authority to cast out or a, a different level of being able to release the anointing from your life. And Jesus taught his disciples that uh, unless they spent their time praying dedicate, in dedicated prayer and fasting, that there were certain things they would not be able to accomplish because they couldn't release the power that was already on the inside of them. And that's a great question. Uh, no, you can choose the course, John. Go to miraclewordu.com. Miracleword, the letter U.com. Rain, I love you. Guys, thank you for hanging with me tonight. I appreciate all of you being on. And uh, I'll be back again live in the morning, 1030. We're talking about five ways to make 2021 the best year of your entire life. Part two tomorrow morning, 10.30 a.m. Love you guys. Thanks for hanging with me tonight. Thanks for being part of this broadcast. I love you. Talk to you again very soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.